All right, well, we are in part two of the series called How to Get What You Really Want. We started this last week, and so if you uh, missed that or would just like a refresh on that, you can head over to our website, hopecommunityonline.org, or the YouTube channel. Just search Hope Community Minerva, you'll find it there, um, and you can catch up. But we're asking this question that we started asking last week was not just how to get what you want, but how to get what you really want, because there's a difference a lot of times. And that's kind of what we started to explore last week, that the question of what do you want is tricky because a lot of the things that we want, we end up not wanting. We're not ultimately wanting. Um, and so some of the common things we said, you know, one of the things that we want, we want our own way. Um, we, we want to do what we want to do. We want, uh, we want it now, whatever it is. And so often, whenever we get those things, we find out down the road that I didn't really want that at all. Um, and because I got what I thought I wanted, now I can't have what I, I truly want, what's really best for me. And, and from a Christian perspective, like what God wants for me is like, it seems like what I wanted then got in the way of getting that, um, of getting that now. And so we're going to continue kind of exploring that this morning. Last week, we kind of set up like the, that, that idea, that tension, that struggle of what we want versus what we really want. Um, and, and so this week, I got to be honest things aren't going to get much better, right? Last week, it was like, you don't really know what you want. It's like, maybe this week will be happier. You picked the wrong week, okay? Uh, but hey, next week, I promise, we're, it's, going, it's going to take a turn. But you know, the first, we've got, we got to identify the problem before we can get to the solution, right? Um, so let's think about this another way here this morning about how do we get what we actually want. We need to begin to explore an area that we often don't take time to explore, um, and that is the area of what do we value, in other words, what is most important to us? Because what you really want is always informed by and is downstream of what you value, of what's most important to you, of the things that matter most in life. And this is one of those areas where, because life is crazy and it's you know, 2023 and it's the way that we live and it's the speed at which we live, we never really slow down long enough to think, you know what, what is most important to me? It's just like, no, I got what I got to do today. Okay, I got stuff to do. There are bills to pay. Ain't, ain't nothing in this world for free. Okay, like, yes, gotcha. All right. <laughs> like, there's just, and so like, what, slowing down to think, okay, what do I actually value? I don't know. I don't know. And it's not an area where, again, the world around us or culture or even like sometimes people in our lives, they're not going to push us to be like, hey, 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 are you thinking about what you really value right now? Like, no, that's not on anybody's radar, but it's, it's, a, it's a question that we have to answer because it's in that area, the deeper things of what's most important that we discover what we actually want. It's in that area where we discover answers to questions like, what kind of person do I actually want to be? Because that's a question that's more important than, uh, what car do I really want? No, what kind of person do I want to be? What kind of character do I want to develop? It's probably more important than, uh, what relationship do I wish I was in right now? What do I want my legacy to be? That's a question we don't think about that often. You think about that legacy stuff. That's, that's way down the road. That's, you know, like at the end of my life when I die, but you leave a legacy everywhere that you go. So I, I see several of our students in the room, and some of you are going to be out of school in a couple months or weeks, actually, at this point. Some of you will be gone in a couple of years, but do you realize that when you leave school, your, your teachers, your fellow classmates are going to have something to say about you? Either something good, something bad, or nothing at all. That's your legacy. You have, you're going to leave a job someday, right? We, we, we work, we have jobs, we get different jobs. You're either going to have a better opportunity or maybe you're going to get fired or maybe you're going to retire. When you leave, your boss and your coworkers are going to have something to say about you. It's going to be positive, it's going to be negative, or it's going to be nothing at all. That's the legacy that you're leaving. How about this? Parents in the room, our kids are going to grow up someday and they're not going to be in our house anymore. And when they're not, 
what are they going to say about what it was like living and growing up with you? Is it going to be like, yeah, man, my dad was just always just, he was always on me. Just always just ruled with an iron fist. My mom was always just too busy, too distracted. Or was it, is it going to be, hey, you know what? You know, they made some mistakes. They weren't perfect, but I know they loved me and wanted the best for me. Like, these are the questions. It's like we get so wrapped up in what do I want? What do I want now? And I want to get my own way that we don't stop and think about what's actually most important. And you will never discover what you really want until you know what is most important in your life. That is a rule for everyone. doesn't matter what your faith position is, if you're still exploring faith or where you're at on that journey, that's true for everyone. What you ultimately want is a result of what you find most valuable or most important. Now, for those of us that are Christians, which is probably the majority of people here and watching, we go one step further with that. What we ultimately want is downstream of what we value or find most important. And what we value or find most important is downstream of who Jesus is and what he says. Like, that's where we go, okay, here's who Jesus is. I'm following him. This, so this is what's most important. Because I'm following him, because this is most important, these are the things that I want, right? Like, there, there's that place that we have to, to land in and discover those things. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. And then this is going to bring us into really the, the meat of today's message. That what we, what we value or what's most important is rarely something that comes natural. You don't just kind of stumble into the things that you value, it's like, oh, look, this happened to land in a great place. In fact, the two are usually at conflict, at odds with one another. The things that we naturally want are rarely the things that we ultimately want. The things that we naturally want are, are rarely the things that we value the most or that we ultimately want. That, that we ultimately want. That what's natural is at odds with what's ultimate. And that's just something that if you, if you tune out for the rest of the message, I'm glad you were at least here, but please don't walk away forgetting that part. I'm not that old, okay? Well, I guess that's relative. Some of you think I am. Some of you think I'm not. Such is life, right? But I've lived long enough to have experiences like that in my life where there was what I really wanted and it was natural and it was easy. And they're like, this is great. And now it's like, no, why? No, I wish I hadn't, and I wish I hadn't. There's this regret, and there's these things built in, especially the younger you are in the room, please listen to me. What you naturally want will rarely be what you ultimately want. And that's not like, yeah, old, boring guy. I know, like I said, it's relative. I'm old, boring guy. I get that. But some of that's just like a, a product of how long you've been on earth. There's nothing wrong with being young. It's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. But you just literally have less time on this space rock called earth. And the longer you go, the more you begin to realize that what I naturally want and what came natural, what I thought felt great, and what was felt right in the moment, my endorphins were high and my emotions were high and I got what I wanted. That is rarely what a year, two years, 10 years, 30 years down the road where you look back like, I wish I hadn't got that. So that's where we're going today. There is this tension and there's this struggle between there's this thing that I want, but then what's actually most important in my life. Um, and it's, it's, not, it's not a matter of just identifying it. Because that's what we think sometimes. We're like, okay, I got it. Well, maybe this is how I think, okay, because I'm a task-driven person, all right? I'm like, I will sit down, and I will make a list of what I want the most and what's most important. And here's how I actually get that. I get the right information, and then I have enough, enough discipline, and I will live my life in a way where I get what's most valuable. How many of you in the room know that that doesn't work, right? Where you're just like, I have the information, and I am a disciplined person, but I still seem to not do what I want to do, what is wrong with me, it's not a matter of discipline or information. That's the struggle that we're going to get into today. So looking at something written by a guy named the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul is responsible for about half of our New Testament. The Apostle Paul, when he steps onto the pages of history, is not a Christian or a Jesus follower. In fact, he hates 
Christians. The Apostle Paul um, was a Jewish religious leader. He was a Pharisee, so basically he was an expert in what we would call the Old Testament, the Jewish law. Uh, his whole job was basically, I'm going to be good at being good and following the law and telling other people about it. And so his view of Christianity was these, these, these followers of the way, these Jesus people, that they are, this is like a knockoff cult. It's a slap in the face to my Judaism. And so Paul's like, I'm going to single-handedly put an end to it. He goes around persecuting Christians, having them thrown in prison, having them killed, until he has an encounter with the risen Jesus. And he's like, turns out I was wrong. And Paul goes and, and does more for the spread of the gospel than probably anyone other than Jesus himself. Uh, so Paul starts all these little gatherings of churches around the Roman Empire, and he writes letters to them. They now make up about half of our New Testament. He writes one letter in particular to a church that, at least at the time of his writing, he hadn't been to yet. It was the church in the city of Rome, and he really, really wanted to get to Rome to visit the Roman Christians, but he hadn't been there yet, so he writes them a letter. And in Paul's letter to the Romans, it is like, it is deep and theological, and he's unpacking all these ideas about the Jews and the Gentiles and, and the law and theology and like practical implications for living. And within all of that context, what it means to follow Jesus, Paul captures the heart of this struggle between what we, what we naturally want and what we ultimately want. He starts it this way. This is Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 15. Paul says, I do not understand what I do. Can I get an A flipping men to that? Let's just all go home. And you're like, this is, this is my life verse, okay? I think I'm going to go get that tattoo, right? It's just, I do not understand what I do. It's like, I, yeah. I don't know how many times, yeah, I have, at least personally, maybe, maybe I'm the weird one. No comments, please. Where it's like, there's just this interpersonal dialogue. It's just like, what are you, Phil, what are you doing? What are you thinking? That was stupid. Why did you say that? Why did you do that? Why did you act that way? And maybe you've had similar conversations. Why did you say yes? Why did you say no? Why did you call them back? You shouldn't have done that. Why did you take that opportunity? Why didn't you do, just on and on and on and on. And for me, I'm just like, you, Phil, you idiot. You idiot, Phil. Like, you're just, what's wrong with you? And that, that kind of is the, the point of today. Like, there's something wrong with us, y'all. Like, there is something wrong with us. It's not good. It's not good. That there's a conflict between even, like, even, I mean, for, for, for a moment, let's set, set aside, like, the faith aspect in Jesus and God and the Bible. Like, let's just take, there's a conflict between our own, like, what we think is best, right? Our own desires. And, like, hey, this is best. This is what I want to do. This is the kind of person I want to be. There's a conflict between that and what we actually do, let alone what God has for us and what we actually do. There's just this thing going on inside of us. And so Paul says, I don't understand what I do. Um, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. So there's this thing, there's like, there's something that I've identified that I want to do, that is important in my life, that is valuable to me. And, I'm, and I, everything in me wants to go and do that, but guess what? I don't. I don't do it. In fact, I settle for something less. I settle for, and he uses such strange, like, or such strong language. He says, I hate, I absolutely hate what I do. I hate it. And can I just say, like, that, you know, you live in verse 15 here long enough, and I hate what I do eventually becomes I hate who I am. And some of you may be there right now. Some of you have been there before. I have been there before. Because you live here, and it's like over and over and over, I keep doing what I don't want to do. I keep doing it, and I keep doing it, and I keep doing it, and eventually it begins to settle in. It's like maybe the reason I keep doing this isn't because it's something that I'm doing. Maybe it's because it's someone who I am, and I hate that person. Right? And we, we, get, we get stuck in this, and, and this is a little bit off topic, but let me just say, if that's you right now, if you, just, if you hate the person that you see in the mirror, 
whatever lies you are believing about yourself are not true. It's just not true. And I know it feels that way. I know it feels like it's the truest thing about you, but it is, it is not. That you are not broken beyond repair. You are not damaged goods. That the God of the universe looked at, 2,000 years ago, it was like, hey, I know who you are. I know what you're going to do, and I'm going to die for you anyway. That is my love for you. That's how valuable you are. And so in the midst of this struggle, yes, there are things that we do that we don't want to do, but it does not diminish who we are in the eyes of Jesus. Paul says, I don't understand what, what is going on. I hate the things that I'm doing. Verse 16, he says, and if I do what I, I don't want to do, then I agree that the law is good. So he's been up to this point kind of talking about the Old Testament law and its relationship and what it was for. And, uh, and not just the Old Testament law, but also kind of like this, this moral law, God's law that's written on people's hearts. That there's this thing that um, it, it reveals how broken we are and, and it points us to a higher standard. And basically what Paul is saying is if I keep doing what I don't want to do and I hate that I'm doing that, I actually agree that there's a standard that's good that I'm falling short of. It's like there's something I know that's better for me. There's something like naturally we're wired to know when we're falling short. And if I'm falling short, it's like we, we even say that, right? Nobody's perfect. By making that statement that nobody's perfect, we're implying that there is a perfect that people can be and nobody isn't. Right? And so Paul's like, if I keep doing what I hate doing, like it's actually revealing that there is something good. There's something good. And the little Greek word for good, it's more than just like, well, that's good. It's, it means beautiful and noble. It means upright. It's like, I know that that is there, but I can't hit that standard at all. Verse 17, he says, you know what? It's not even me. As it is, it's, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. This is, this is a little interesting turn, right? He says, it's sin living in me. There's this, this picture. It's like, yeah, there, there's what I want to do. And on one level, like, I'm responsible for that. And I have the ability to choose kind of right over wrong. And I can do the right thing. But then at the same time, while that's true, it's also like, there's this thing inside of me that I'm not even in control of. And it's just telling me what to do. It's like, there's this animal. There's this beast. There's this monster and it's like, it, it, sometimes he or she's in charge, and it's not even me. It's like I'm witnessing, like I'm, I'm not even, I, who is that? I don't know who that is. As I've been preparing this message this week, like I've, I've had a song stuck in my head because of this. There's a song by Three Days Grace called Animal I Have Become, okay? This was like, it, you know, th 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 this was like, it was on my, okay, it was on my, so when I, away football games, right? It was on my warm-up music, on my Sony Discman, okay? <laughs> my Discman, because that just made music super portable. It's just like <laughs> dinner plate is strapped to my hip. Right? And it was, it was great pump-up music. But now thinking about it, I'm like, man, there's some truth in that. Because the chorus is like, so what if you can see the darker side of me? No one will ever change this animal that I have become. Help me believe it's not the real me. Somebody help me tame this animal that I have become. I'm like, man, I don't know. I kind of doubt they were reading Paul, but it sounds like they're reading Paul. Like there's just something... There's something in me, and I don't know what that is, and that's an idea that, um, that actually gets picked up very early in the biblical narrative. So the, the first story outside of, of Eden, right, when, when human rebellion, spiritual rebellion come into the world, the relationship between humans and one another and humans and God and humans and, and the creation is fractured, the first story outside of Eden is about two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother Abel. God tells him, he's like, hey, listen, listen. Do what is right. Like you've got, you have the opportunity to actually choose right, to choose good. And he says, and if you don't, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you. 
Like it's just, there's this picture of like, it's this wild beast that just wants to consume you and destroy everything good in your life. It's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. James, um, who we looked at last week, he wrote this little letter. Uh, he gives this really vivid word picture of, I think, of the, the tension and the struggle of what's happening. So James 1, he says this, each person is tempted when they are dragged away. It's so graphic, right? Dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. It's like, I, I, I've, maybe I've actually taken the time to define, this is what's most important, this is what's most valuable, I'm a follower of Jesus, this is what he wants for me, and I'm moving in that direction. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to live the right way. I'm trying to respond the right way. I'm trying to love the right way. I'm trying to have the right morals. I'm trying to do all this right, and I'm moving in this direction, and that other thing inside me grabs a hold of me and says, not so fast. I want you to come back over here and I'm dragged away, but he's also, he's not letting us off the hook and saying, hey, it's not your fault. You know, somebody's dragging you away. He's like, well, there's a part of this that's you because these are your own evil desires. Like there, there's something inside of you and you're responsible for it, but you're also a victim to it. It's like both happening at the same time, your own desires. And then he continues with this picture. You're being dragged away by your own desires. You're being enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. That's, a, that's a, such an accurate picture. He's like, Here, here's the life cycle of your natural wants, of the things that you're going after. Here, here's, here's how it progresses. You have these wants or these desires. These wants and desires give birth to sin. Sin gives birth to death. Death is the grandchild of your desires. Like it just, it just leads you down this path. It's like, oh, I really want that. And it, just, it comes natural and it feels right. So what's gonna happen? He's like, ooh, careful. It's not just a decision. It's not just a moment. It's a path that's leading somewhere. When sin, when, when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death that the sin ultimately kills things. It kills our relationships. It, it kills our, our health. It kills our bodies eventually. It, it just, it, it comes and destroys stuff. And so Paul is, is picking up on this idea. He's like, hey, it's not, like, there's something living in me that does not have my best interests in mind that is not ultimately what I want to do. There is sin that is living in me. He says, for I know the good, that, that good itself, it does not live in me. Like on my own, left to my own devices, it is not pretty. That good, that like the source of good is not from within. It does not dwell in me. And then he clarifies and says, when, we, when, I, when I say it doesn't dwell in me, I mean it doesn't, it doesn't dwell in my sinful nature. Sometimes this is translated as my flesh. This kind of very like raw, kind of earthy imagery of like, of like the stuff that I'm naturally made of. Like what makes up Phil on its own like is not good. That, that human beings, like humanity's default position is not a good place to be. Uh, like, it's what comes natural. You know, sometimes people have a, have a problem with, like, the, the sinful part there, the sin word, but we, we can even set that aside for a moment and just say, if, if, you, if you look at what, what comes natural to human beings, what's the pitch, picture that you get? Right? There, there are things that we just do, and Christians believe, the New Testament teaches, Jesus teaches, the Apostle Paul teaches, the other apostles teach that, yeah, that is what humans naturally do, but there's something fundamentally broken about our natural state. Because this is kind of like a line of thinking today of just like, just do what comes natural. Like, it's, it's wrong to not do what comes natural. It's like, 
I don't know. I've got, a, I mean, I hope you don't think I'm a psychopath. I have a lot of natural urges. I'd probably be in jail, right? Like there's just something that comes natural. It's like, I don't know if we should always just do what comes natural. Just not so sure about that. Have you looked at, have you looked at nature? Have you looked at the animal kingdom? It's not pretty, okay? It's violent. There's no love in nature. There's no grace in nature. There's no forgiveness in nature. There's no like, nature's like, you know, it's survival of the fittest. And so, like, they're on our natural state, it's like, I don't know, it's not good. And, and again, we believe, okay, yes, because there's something that may be natural. It may be how we feel like we're wired, but it's, it's a little bit broken. And the Apostle Paul, he, he gives us kind of like some pictures of this. All throughout the New Testament, there's these ideas of what exactly does that look like? How does that play out? And there's several examples. I just want to give us one. Um, uh, and this is not an exhaustive list, but it gives us an idea of what he's talking about. So this is in his letter to the Galatians. He says, the works of the flesh, there's our word again, there's, there's our natural default factory setting, if you will. The works of the flesh are obvious. In, in other words, what people naturally do is obvious. Why? How do you know? Because you just look around. You turn on the TV, you drive down the road, you, you hear people's conversations, you go, oh, I can kind of get an idea of how people naturally operate. And he says, let, let me give you an example. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, Right? This, what, what, what do I want? I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do, where I want to do, with who I want to do. doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. Um, idolatry and sorcery. Those are, those are two fun ones that we don't hear a whole lot about today. Um, idolatry is just this idea of making anything an ultimate thing that isn't meant to be an ultimate thing. From a Christian perspective, like Jesus, God, he is meant to be the ultimate in our lives. Everything falls underneath of that. It's taking, it's taking anything else and saying, this is the most important thing in my life. And I will worship that thing. I will go after that thing, whether that's money or career or sex or family or entertainment or pleasure, whatever it is. Like, this is the thing that I'm going after. That's idolatry. Sorcery, uh, this is, you know, they, they, Paul's talking to a group of people coming out of different pagan religions and stuff. And some of them were into some serious dark juju magumbo, okay? <laughs> like, they were, like, there was, there was, hey, let's, let's see if we can control and manipulate some evil spirits and things. And maybe that's not quite as common in our context, um, you know, if you're, if you're a sorcerer, sorceress, sorcerer, I don't know. Like, cool, glad you're here. We'll pray for you. Um, but we still have this because what is sorcery at its core is, is them trying to say, how can I manipulate circumstances and people to get what I want? Oh, we still do that for sure. We may leave out the, the dark evil spirit part, but we still manipulate circumstances and people to get what I want. Now I'm just going to roll through this last uh, um, this last set of descriptors, because uh, these, if you just close your eyes and think, you may have a person or several people pop into your head. But because, here's the point, no judgment on anyone, this is just how the world operates. Does this, does this sound anything like, you know, scroll through social media, hear conversations among people, hear conversations among people who have different worldviews, and does it sound like this? Hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, in anything similar. Carousing's a fun word. It's just like, he's like, hey, listen, just look around at people. This is, how, this, is, this is what we do. This is what we do. And he says, yeah, and anything similar, because again, the point isn't like, hey, here's these things that I want you to be on the lookout for. He's like, no, there's this way of, of being human. There's a way of existing in the world, and here's how some of it plays out, but it's a much larger list than that. So this is what we do on our own. This is what we do naturally. This is, this is what it looks like when we get what we want. And here's, again, I, we, we could go around the room and we could tell stories of times where we got what we wanted. And for some of us, it may have been something on this list. It may not have been. It may have been something similar. Where it's like, yep, got that one. Mark, oh, ch check, check, check. Outburst of anger today? Or just, we're just, 
Oh, you mean just in general? Okay, yeah, uh, okay. Got, yep, got that one. Where we got what we wanted and then ended up where we didn't want to be. And we look back and we go, wow. It just, it seemed so natural. It seemed like it was what I wanted. It seemed like it was easy to just respond in this way. And Paul's part of the point is kind of like, well, yeah, it is. It is. So, back to Paul in Romans. I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I, this is a tongue twister. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So there's that idea again, too. He's like, it's like there's something else driving me to do these things. And so I find this law at work. Now he's like, he's like, it's like a law. It's a principle. You can like, you can take it to the bank. This is just something that is, is set in stone. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war, waging war against the law of my mind and making me, here it is, a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. He's like, there, there's this struggle going on. There's a war going on. He's like, I'm, I don't even, I'm a prisoner. I am here, like, against my will. I don't want this struggle. I don't want this tension. I don't want to go through these things. I don't want to deal with all, you know, Paul's list of all this stuff that I'm struggling with, of its anger and immorality and, 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 and strife and jealousy. All this, like, I don't want that, but it's like I'm a prisoner here. I'm not, this is not what I want at all. That what we want naturally, Paul is like, so listen, listen, if we, if, if we default to that, it's in conflict with what you want ultimately. It's in conflict with where you look at the end of your life or you think about your legacy or you think about the person that you want to be. Like what comes natural is not any of that. That, that what we want naturally is in conflict with, with what leads to our own flourishing. Again, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, that what we want naturally is against what God wants for us. Because he wants something for us that is beyond just natural, something that is supernatural, something that is better than the natural world could even offer. This is a really, really big deal. This idea of the, what we want natural being at odds or being in conflict with what we want ultimately. Because this is something that will play out over our lives over and over and over again. As I said from the beginning, man, the younger that you are, the bigger deal this is. Because you've got... You've just got, by sheer amount of time, a longer time on earth to either experience what God wants for you or experience the pain of getting what you wanted in the moment. And as I said, there's enough unavoidable pain in life. Let's try to avoid what we can. Here's the good news, okay? Here's the really good news. Like, this is a battle, and this is a daily battle. This is something that, like, but it is a battle that you can actually win. Like, we can actually live in a way that says, okay, I know what I naturally want, but what I ultimately want is better. I know what God wants for me is better. We can actually live in a way that steps into what God has for us instead of uh, what just comes natural to us. We can embrace what's valuable and what's most important. So let's let Paul finish up his thought here because he's going to give us some hope, okay? He's going to end us on a high note. He's going to give us some hope to walk away with. Paul says this, what a wretched man I am. That's not the hopeful part, okay? That's, it's like, wait a minute, that doesn't, that doesn't seem right. But like, this is just his summary, right? In light of this kind of inner dialogue that's happening between what I want and what I, what I don't want, and I'm doing what I don't want to do, and I'm not doing what I want to do, and I hate what I do. He's like, here's my conclusion. I am a wretched man. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? 
He's just tied two ideas together. He's like, Here, this body of mine, my natural self, my flesh, my sinful nature is subject to what? It's subject to death. Why? Well, because what James said, that my, my desires give birth to, to sin and sin gives birth to death, death. And so what I want ultimately leads me down a path of death and destruction. Paul's like, that's my fate, man. I am in trouble. What am I possibly going to do? Who can rescue me? Who can rescue me? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul says that, that's, that's the hope. That's the promise. That's the thing that no matter what you're struggling with, whatever that internal dialogue looks like and the things that you do that you hate that you do and the good that you do that you don't wanna do, whatever that looks like, he's like, here is the hope that you have is that you can actually be delivered from that through Jesus. That there, like, there, there's some debate about like Paul writing this. Is he writing this from a perspective of before he knew Christ and after he knew Christ? Or is this about the Christian kind of a, a internal struggle? I think it's kind of both. But here's this beautiful reality. Like before you knew Jesus, you were just a slave to the natural self and the implications and the death that comes along with it and the pain that comes along with it. But he says, now that you are in Christ, the old you, the natural you has died and a supernatural you has been, has been birthed that you are delivered through Jesus Christ. And here's what that looks like. That means multiple things. Number one, here, here's what it means. It means back in verse 15 when we say, I hate what I do, and oftentimes that becomes I hate who I am, that the death of Jesus, the blood of Jesus covers you and says you are forgiven from all you've ever done, all you ever will do. You are no longer a slave to your sin anymore. Death is not on the table. You are delivered from the consequences, sin and death. But there's even more deliverance than that. Because he talks about the natural us that lives in a certain way. And he says, oh, you can be delivered from that too. Because while you and your natural state cannot overcome and cannot really pursue what you value and really pursue the life that Jesus has for you, when you put your faith in him, he is going to give you a supernatural helper. That the Holy Spirit will come to live in you and dwell in you and reveal to you what is best and what does flourishing look like. And then he will empower you to chase after that and to deny the natural self. This is this beautiful picture of the power of Jesus working in and through us. Okay, and this is this, is this idea that, that sometimes a little bit like, well, what do we do with that? Because honestly, a lot of times I just want to give us principles, okay? I'm like, here's three principles to do so that you can die to your you know, natural self. Like, this is one of those things where principles doesn't work. You need power, okay? Because it's like, I can, I can principle us all day long, three easy steps to no longer doing, but like I said at the beginning, us not doing the things that we want to do or doing what we don't want to do, you know, the whole tongue twister of Paul, that's not a matter of more information or more discipline. We get all the information, we get all the discipline, and we still find ourselves going, I do not do what I want to do. I hate what I'm doing. Why do I do this? Oh, wretched man, because information and discipline are not enough. You need power. You need a power that exists outside of you, because I know from my life, and I'm assuming this is probably true for most of you, when I've tried to do it myself, this whole problem, the last 10 verses, just gets worse, not better. He says, I want to empower you, allow you to live a different kind of way. He delivers us through his blood, for, through forgiveness, through the power of his spirit, a transformed life. He delivers us because he delivers us into a family. He delivers us into a group of people who, who, quite honestly, there are times when we want to move back into the way that we used to live and who we used to be, and we're around a group of people that says, hey, cut it out, okay? You're not that person anymore. 
right? Sometimes I need that. Sometimes I need that, that reminder for people to tell me, listen, Phil, the old you died, the new you is alive, so get your head out of your butt and start living like it. And sometimes more lovingly push me in that direction. But usually the, I'm, I'm more the first kind, okay? I need the, I need the, the strong kick in the butt. It's like, hey, listen, Listen, you, Jesus has delivered you. You're empowered by his spirit. Now start living like it. We remind one another of this. Paul's like, hey, this struggle is real. This struggle may not go anywhere, but you have the guarantee of deliverance because Jesus has already won the victory. You just have to walk in it. Like that is the reality of what we're talking about. Don't get me wrong. This is not everything's going to be fine and everything's going to be wonderful. Okay, it's not you're going to have everything you ever had a brand new car, right? It's not, it's not that. It's saying in spite of this struggle that you may have, in spite of the, the, the crap that is life sometimes, it's not the end. And you have deliverance and you have power and that you can make it through. And whatever that, that internal like want, that thing that my flesh, that my sinful nature keeps going after, you know, there are times, sometimes God will deliver you from that. Whatever that looks like, man, my anger, and it's just, it's just gone. I used to be a very angry person. I still have my moments. But for the most part, it's like, that's gone. And praise God for those moments. But there are times when that struggle, whatever it is that we have, it sticks with us till the day we die. But there is still deliverance. It's just not in this life. That I may still struggle daily, or there's this call to every single day, put the old man to death, where I wake up and go, hey, you, quiet, you're dead. You don't get to talk, okay? <laughs> it's like in horror movies, like, they're never dead, okay? It's like, yeah, I know, sometimes that's what it is. The old me raises up, and it's like, ah. But someday, there will be an eternity in glory where the old sinful natural part of me no longer exists and only the supernatural, what God desires for us. And that is the hope that we have. That's the hope that we have. Our, our faith is not just one of principles and practices, but one of power, one of freedom in Christ and the power of the spirit. So here it is. Here's the posture that we take this week, right? It's to understand, you know what? I am a wretched man or woman. Like I am just, I'm messed up. And there are things that I know are best for me and there are things that I know that I want ultimately that God wants for me and it is such a struggle and I can't get there on my own. And so Jesus, I need you to deliver me. I need your blood to cover me, to forgive me. I need your spirit to empower me to choose the life that you have laid out for me. But there is a war between what's natural and what's ultimate. So Jesus, help me to live in victory. That's the posture we take. And as we do that, I'm gonna get you out of here. Three questions to think about to help us in that direction. Um, we're gonna keep asking this question during the series. What do you really want? What do you really want? Think about this, that this week. And as you're thinking about that, we're gonna put some words around this in the words of James. What keeps dragging you away from that? What's that thing? It's like, oh, I know I know what I want. I know what Jesus wants for me. I know the life I'm living. I know the direction I need to be moving in. But there's this thing that keeps dragging me away. What's that thing? And then the final question is, how much longer am I going to let it keep doing that? How, much, how many more days are going to go by and say, I know this is what I want, but there's this other thing. Like, how much longer is, is it time to say, you know what, Jesus, I need you to, to, to step in and do something that I can't do. Let me pray for you. God, thanks so much just for the love that you have for us. Uh, Jesus, the love that you displayed on the cross. My goodness, God, you stepped out of glory. You became human, walked among us, showed us what it, what it really looks like to, to love God, to love our neighbor, what it looks like to truly be human, but you didn't stop there. Jesus, you died on a cross to pay for our sin, to pay for just all of our mistakes, all of the evil we unleash on the world. You rose from the, the grave, defeating the power of death once and for all. We thank you for that. God, I pray that we would walk in that victory and in that life. 
that we would know no matter what we do, no matter how broken we are, no matter how bad we think we have blown it, there is enough grace for us. Your blood covers that. You've forgiven us. You've freed us from that. God, you've given us the power of your spirit to live a different kind of life. So Lord, I pray you would empower each and every person here in this room who's watching online, Lord, that you would allow us and empower us to, to live a different kind of life, a different way, a life that leads to our flourishing and a life that points to your goodness and your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen.